chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 12 through 26. Uh, again, this morning, like last week, I want you to put your finger there, and I want you to turn somewhere else. And we're going to go to Romans uh, chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 18 through 25 together. So put your finger in Luke chapter 5, because that's where we will be camping out. But real quick, before we get there, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Paul, now writing in Romans 8, verse 18 through 25, says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption, from its bondage to corruption, and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul here is writing really about the plight of man and all creation because of sin. Saying that we live in a broken world. This is Paul pontificating on Genesis 3. This is Paul reminding us that we live in brokenness, and in brokenness we yearn for reconciliation with God for ourselves, but also for all of creation. With creation, we groan, it says, inwardly uh, because of this fallen state that we live in. So, we live in a broken world because of sin. Things are not as they were originally intended to be. And because of that, we ache along with creation for the day when all things will be restored and reconciled because of and through Jesus, who is the Son. Um, today's text, Luke chapter 5, at first glance is joyous. We are going to read about two miraculous healings. And at first glance, this text in Luke chapter 5 is absolutely joyous, and, and it is on one hand, but it's also vexing on the other because of the challenges that come with it for us because of the questions that are naturally going to pop up in our hearts and in our minds because of it. Hopefully what we have read here in Romans will my prayer is give us both context and focus to what we're going to read today in Luke 5 and as we wrestle with those questions. And so the context is this. We live in a broken and fallen world. We ache for restoration. Jesus came to bring restoration. But that restoration is not fully realized this side of heaven. And so we live very much in what you've heard me say as an already not yet reality. That there are already some things that we experience because of the restoration that has been brought about because of Jesus. And there are still some not yet things that we will experience but are not currently experiencing right here and now. Even the whole salvation process speaks to this in that we are justified at the moment of faith, but sanctification is a process and ultimately we will be saved completely once we enter into glory. And so it's an already not yet reality that we live in. And so as we come to this text today and we see these healings, I want you to see them in light of that reality. See them in light of that already not yet reality and that even when Jesus came, remember, we said that the things that Jesus is doing in the natural physical realm while he walked on the earth is what? A foretaste 
of the restoration that's to come. It's an appetizer. The first coming is an appetizer for the second coming. What Jesus did in his nativity and coming and, and, and in the uh, incarnation, both from birth to death and resurrection and ultimately ascension, is to whet our appetites, to create that thirst and longing in us for when he will do it completely. Amen. And so Jesus comes, and again I remind you, look at this also in light of Luke 4, when Jesus reads what his job, his sort of job description, his mission is, to set the captives free, to proclaim the gospel, to, to release those that are bound. But also remember that it's a foretaste of what will be an ultimate reality, not only for those in the text, but for us as well. Are you with me? Okay. So let's go to Luke 5, 12 through 26. We're going to read the whole thing together, and then we're going to break it down in chunks. While he was in one of those cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more of the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So two healings, the leper and the paralytic, this man who cannot walk, he was paralyzed. In both we see uh, just an amazing amount of faith and desperation in both of these. The leper is not just coming and saying, Jesus, uh, I believe it. He's begging Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. He's desperate for what Jesus can give him. Also, the, the man who's paralyzed, his friends, we see their desperation in not being like, oh, standing room only, I guess we'll try and catch him tomorrow or on the next tour or whatever. They climb the roof of someone else's house, they pull apart the tiles of someone else's roof, and then lower their friend down into the room with Jesus, which I'm guessing they didn't come with rope, right? So once, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do, you, what do you think we should do? I don't know. People won't get out of the way. Quit pushing, whatever. I'm sure they tried to get in, but there's so many people, right? And someone's like, well, what if, you know, we get some rope and we go up and we pull the roof apart and we lower them down and someone's like, 
that is the most amazing plan I have ever heard. And they go and they do it, right? I don't know what happened. That's how it happens in my brain and in my mind. They do it. But in that, what do you see? You see desperation. You see faith and you see desperation. And in both of these cases, you see compassion from Jesus. Um, through the other gospel uh, texts, it is reasonable to assume that the house that Jesus is in is the house he's staying in and most likely Peter's home. Now, we all know Peter fairly well, and I wonder what he had to say about someone pulling apart his roof, right? But again, we don't know. Um, but we see the desperation, we see uh, the faith, and we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the compassion of Jesus when he reaches out and touches the leper. Now, Jesus spoke the universe into existence. He spoke it into, into existence. If Jesus wanted to, he could have said to leprosy, get out of here, be gone, away with you, into the pit, disappear, whatever he wants to say, he could say it, it would happen. But Jesus touches him. A man who lived his life every single day under the banner that read unclean. And notice, he doesn't say, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Because more than the disease that affected and ravaged his body was the banner of unclean that he lived under every single day, that kept him from his family, that alienated him from his friends and his community, and absolutely even cut him off in his culture and in Jewish religion from his God. Because to worship his God, Jehovah, pre-cross, meant to worship in the temple and with sacrifice, and anyone who was unclean could not come and worship in the temple. And so we see his desperation, not simply to be healed, but to be made clean. Because being made clean would reconcile, would restore his life. And we see these, this beautiful exchange between the leper and Jesus, right? If you will. In other words, Jesus, if you want to, you can. So he's recognizing Jesus' power and authority but he's also recognizing his sovereignty in that moment to say, even though I know he has the power to do it, it still remains upon whether he wants to do it. And so he throws himself, he throws himself at the desire of Jesus. And we see this beautiful exchange where he says, Jesus, if you will, and Jesus says, I will. And he reaches out and he touches him and it says immediately the leprosy left him. It's not like Naaman, he didn't have to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. His faith was exercised in simply coming to Jesus. But again, it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the size of your God whom your faith is in. That's what the whole mustard seed thing is all about. We make it about faith. Well, you know, brother, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. So you just, you know, you just need a little bit of faith. No, you need a big God. Amen. Who gives you the faith anyways and says, it doesn't even matter how much you have. I gave it to you to begin with. Amen. I'm the one who will do it if Amen. I will. That's good. 
do it. And in this case, we see that Jesus willed. And he did. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And I struggle with this this week because we could go into a lot of places. Then he charges him, don't go and tell anyone. Why did he do that? We could pick that all apart. Basically, it's, it's Jesus' fame is spreading. The more his fame spreads, the more people want to make him king. Uh, because they believed the Messiah was coming to set them free from Roman captivity, not from captivity of sin and death. And uh, that wasn't the plan. And so we see several different times in specific instances throughout the gospel accounts that Jesus will say to someone, now don't go tell nobody what just happened. Now, we can pontificate all we want. We're not going to deal with that today, okay? Go study it yourself. That sound really mean. I didn't mean for it to sound mean. <laughs> We're just not going to deal with it today. What we are going to deal with is what's happening here. The leper recognizes Jesus' power and authority and comes knowing that if that he can do it if he wants to. The question is, does he want to? And the answer in this specific circumstance is yes. Jesus does. This is the biggest yes that this man has ever received. He's been cut off from family, from friends, even from God. And here, what he receives removes all barriers in his life and completely restores his physical, everyday, walking around life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but... It leaves me aching. Because I know a lot of people who come to Jesus with the same desperation and, and just as much faith saying, Jesus, I know that if you want to, you can. And it seems like he doesn't. Do you see what I'm saying when I say that this is a joyous Thing, but yet it causes in us naturally these questions to say, well, what about those who aren't healed? What about those who don't receive the thing that they're asking for from God? Now, without taking a whole sermon to do this, let me remind you who we are here to see. Jesus. We are here to see Jesus and beholding him, we will be changed, okay? Jesus is the hero, and if we're not careful, we will again, just like last week, look at the faith of the healed instead of the power, authority, and compassion of the healer. Amen. Why do we do this? John Calvin said it's because our hearts are idol-making factories. And our favorite prototype is ourselves. Some version of ourselves. So we love, even in the Bible, even in these things that Jesus did, to grab onto something, anything, that we think might work for us. to accomplish the things that we want to see accomplished. And so, if we're not careful, immediately we will want to construct a theology around this example for ourselves that says, if we just come to Jesus with enough faith like this man, with leprosy and humility like he did, and just ask, you know, the way he asked, then we'll get the same result from Jesus. Just look at modern evangelicalism in America today and you will see how often we do this. There are, if I'm not mistaken, four times in the gospel record where Jesus says to someone, your faith has made you well, go in peace and sin no more, something to that effect. Four times. Do you know 
how many people Jesus healed in three years of ministry? John says that if we could record all the things that Jesus said and did, they wouldn't fit in all the books in the world. But we take four examples of people who came in faith and we build and construct a theology around that that says if we'll just have enough faith, we can get from God whatever we want and it's baloney. It's baloney. Because even in that instance, there's nuance there and their faith didn't heal them. The God of their faith did. And if we're not careful, we will quickly build and construct a theology around this example, hoping that if we just come, so he said, if, if, if you will, Jesus, you can. And we'll start to pray that way. We'll write books about it and sell sermon series and have t-shirts and pictures with, with that written underneath it and make a lot of money, probably even doing it if we wanted to. But it's not the point. And it's not what is going to heal us and set us free and cause us to worship Jesus in the way that we should. You see, this is where the challenging part of this one comes in. And there's a couple of things wrong with that whole thing. Right off the bat, we are seeking in that, if we build that construct of theology around this example, we are seeking immediately the hand and not the face of the Savior. It elevates the gift above the giver. We want what he can give us or do for us and not him. And in this way, we can treat Jesus. And you can do this. Hear me. You can. I can. We can treat Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Just like some other idol or God. And he is no more to us than some cosmic rabbit's foot and is only as good to us as compared to what he gives us. And that kind of theology, church, will leave you eventually shipwrecked. And if that's where you, would, where you are, I would say that you really have no faith and you have taken on a perverted form of religion that you call Christianity, but is really no more than a superstition of your own making, and beware. Jesus said many would come to him in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And that will not be for his lack of love for anyone, but rather of their own lack of love and acknowledgement of him. That's firstly, right off the bat. We elevate the gift above the giver. We seek his hand and not his face. We want what he can give us instead of him. Secondly, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We are trying to find the combination of right words to say. I remember one time in high school, my freshman year, I could not get my combination on my locker to work for anything. I remember punching, kicking, headbutting, just being... It was terrible. I also remember my dad had a little safe that he brought home from the military. That he kept important things in, and I would get down there and just kind of listen. Oh, yeah, back the other way. It was a really cheap save, but you could, I could actually figure it out. It's awesome. Um, but we come to faith like that. We come to Jesus like that. We come to the Father like that, and we think that if we can just figure out the right combination of things to say that we can crack open the door and get access to the things that we want access to. That's good. I do believe there is a story that Jesus told about 
the kingdom of heaven. And he said, anyone who jumps over the wall is going to get kicked out. You've got to come through the gate. And who is the gate? It's Jesus. We want to get God to do what we want Him to do. There's no combination. There's Jesus. There's no secret prayer or way of praying. There's Jesus. There's no key to unlocking the great mysteries of faith that will open to you Pandora's box of unlimited strength and power and ability to never struggle in this life. Or always be healed. There is only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this triune God who is seeking relationship with you, not because you deserve it or are willing, or not because uh, of anything except that it gives him great pleasure and it magnifies his glory to lavish his love and grace on us precisely because we don't deserve it. And he knows that his glory is our greatest good. Which means your greatest good comes not when you get what you want but rather when you find that you are satisfied in Him. I was sitting in a large auditorium in 2006, January of 2006. I was fresh off the plane from Zimbabwe. My life was kind of getting turned upside down. Uh, I thought I was moving back to Zim. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, I was from California, but I had nothing left in California, and my parents had moved to Houston, and uh, five years of uh, being on my own, um, had to swallow my pride and move back in with my folks when I didn't want to, and um, I just didn't know what was going on. Uh, to then be... Uh, employed by a very large mega church um, when I had really no credentials whatsoever except for relationship with people who had known me a long time and a lot of hard life work experience. And um, I didn't know what was going on. I was angry and upset and I sat in a large uh, conference center in Nashville, Tennessee. And I heard this man preach named John Piper, and he said, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. And he just kind of like kept repeating that over and over and over and over and over. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. And to be honest, um, I don't think that I really got that. I still think that I don't really get it most of the time. But that has just sort of echoed over me over the last very long time. Um, and there is so much truth in that statement that it will wreck you. It will wreck you. Because it's true. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. Which means, what? That when it really comes down to it, if I have Christ, I lack nothing. And the reality is, is if you want a key, if you want the combination, if you want the gate to open, it's Jesus. And every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. But we don't want Christ. We want us. And we want what we want. And we want to pick and choose. Instead of being satisfied in Him. So this is the truth. God's love and grace is not measured by material wealth and possessions. 
or even in health and earthly blessings. It's not. And it also rains on the just and the unjust. Now, I've lived in Texas for a while, but I grew up in the Northwest, so I can read that a couple of different ways. Uh, and growing up, when I read that, I read that as a bad thing. Like it rains on the just and the unjust. Doggone it, why has it got to rain on the just? I'm sick of the rain, man. Uh, so whether you're experiencing flood or drought, that can go either way, but it still remains true either way. If it's flooding, it rains on the just and the unjust. If you're in drought, it rains on the just and the unjust, or doesn't rain on the just and the unjust. It goes both ways. Why? Because God is God over it all. God is God over the feast and over the famine. And he's in control of it all. And he knows it all. And he sees it all. Either way, he is God. And you cannot calculate the worth of God's love in the same manner that you would add up your net value on earth. It doesn't work that way. It cannot be determined by the amount of money in your bank account or the type of car in your driveway or how healthy you are, or successful that you are. Whether you did good at work this week or bad is not necessarily a reflection of God's love for you or your obedience even. Whether you're sick right now or well is not necessarily a reflection of God's love for you or your obedience even. Are you with me? Those things are not an indication of anything eternal because they are all temporary. Let me ask you a question. We've read two stories, the leper and the paralytic. Where are they now? Dead and gone. Hopefully they're with Jesus, but they're dead, right? Why? Because the healing that they even received in that moment was still temporary. It was a foretaste of what was to come. It wasn't the whole deal. And so eventually, they were going to die anyways. They're going to die anyways. They did die anyways. Lazarus, Jesus rose him from the dead. Congratulations, buddy. You get to die twice. <laughs> it's temporary. It's temporary. Health is temporary. Wealth is temporary. It's all connected to this planet. Really. In its current state. It's, it's connected to us being here now. I guess you go to Mars, you're not going to get away from sin and death. Sorry. Might get a cool ride out of it, but... So it's not really connected to the planet. But anyways, you get what I'm saying. I really botched that up. For right now it is. For right now it is. Because you're here. Let's move on. Those things are not an indication of anything eternal because they are all temporary. They have... No heavenly merit. It's like having the wrong currency. And the currency you need is so infinitely more valuable that you cannot scrape together enough to trade up. I know what that's like. Remember one, one uh, week, I had an $8 million phone, cell phone bill in Zimbabwe. And the... Uh, the um, way the market was that week on Friday was $8 million was equal to $100 U.S. dollars. I had a $100 cell phone bill. And, uh, and so I had to make a plan to get $8 million Zim dollars to pay my bill. So I did what I had to do to do that um, with local businessmen. 
and I traded my 100 US dollars for 8 million Zim dollars so that I could pay my bill on Saturday morning. It was Friday evening. On Saturday morning, I got up and 100 US dollars was not worth uh, 8 million dollars anymore. It was worth 16 million dollars. The market had literally cut in half or doubled or however, whichever way you want to take it, overnight. And now the money that I had was worth half of what I needed and I had to go and spend another hundred dollars to get the amount of money that I needed because my bill would change depending on the current rate of exchange. And so now my bill that was eight million dollars on Friday was now sixteen million dollars but I only had uh, eight million dollars. Okay? Just to give you an example. That's nothing. Because it would really be the other way around as if I needed to buy U.S., which I had to try and do before, and I needed way more Zim dollars to buy U.S. dollars than I needed U.S. dollars to buy Zim dollars. But think of it this way. The, the things that are eternal are of infinitely more value that even if we could scrape together everything in this life, it means nothing. It's monopoly money. It's monopoly money. There's no value in it whatsoever eternally. And so there's no exchange. You can't do it. It's like having the wrong currency and the currency you need is so infinitely more valuable that you can't even scrape together enough to trade up to what you need. You can't get one cent. Which means what? We are eternally bankrupt on our own. Yes, every good gift comes down from the Father above. But every gift is not a measure of His love. Every gift is an expression of His love and of His grace and of His mercy, but not every gift is a measure of his love or of his acceptance. Again, it rains on the just and the unjust. There are some things that we call general grace that are for everyone. But let me tell you what is a measure of God's love for you. Jesus. Not to heal you in your physical body, not to give you wealth, not to position you in platforms of authority and earthly responsibility. And I'm not saying these things are bad or wrong or that God won't do them. Hear the story. Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. I will, and he did. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I believe in a Jesus who lives today and does heal today. My problem is, is that it doesn't always happen. And so we cannot build and construct a theology that makes it seem like it does. We have to be able to do the hard work of living in reality and understanding that faith is only faith when it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. Things go great, and what do we do? We call up our buddies, our friends, our pals, our family. Hey, guess what happened? This happened. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, God is so good. Well, He's good even if it didn't come together the way He wanted it to come together. Amen. Because He is good, regardless of our circumstance. Because He's God. So I'm not saying God doesn't want to heal you. I'm not saying He doesn't want you to be prosperous or even wealthy or rich. I'm not saying he doesn't want to give you platforms of authority and earthly responsibility. What I'm saying is those things are not the point. They shouldn't be our focus and we cannot build our theology around a God who gives those things to us if we somehow figure out some kind of way of working him to make it happen. It, it doesn't work that way. He's God and we're man. And he is infinitely greater than us and his ways are higher than us and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when God wanted to express his love for you, he did it by sending his son Jesus 
to die on a cross for you and in your place to pay the penalty for your treason against him and to be buried and resurrected again for you and in your place so that not only the penalty for your sin would be paid, but also the authority that death had over you would be conquered and Jesus would reign victorious over all. So let me tell you what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to heal your sin-sick heart. He wants to heal your sin-sick and leprous heart. And if you will come to him with a heart full of sin and rebellion and of dirt and grime and scum of living for yourself and everything that goes with it and say, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. You will hear from him today. I will be clean. In the second story, we hear... Jesus say to the man, what first? Your sins are forgiven me. The paralyzed man gets lowered down into the room. He cannot walk. And what does Jesus give to him? Something that's temporary or something that's eternal? And what is more valuable for that man the forgiveness that he received from Jesus or the healing? The forgiveness. Why? Because he still died. His health was temporary. I'm sure it was amazing. I'm not trying to take anything from that. He was paralyzed and Jesus healed him. He got up. I mean, think of it. How long was this guy? Think of the desperation these people had. He's paralyzed. He can't move. He obviously has friends. We don't know it was a work accident. We don't know if it's a disease. We don't, we don't know. We just know he had a life. Now he has no life. And his friends bring him to Jesus to be healed. There's desperation there. I mean, this is amazing. Think of the atrophy of his muscles. I mean, more had to happen than just, you know, healing, mending bones or, or a spine or, or whatever. I mean, this is complete and total healing. I mean, the guy with the leper. I mean, come on. Have you seen leprosy? I've seen it. It's not pretty. It attacks the appendages of your body first. And literally, your body eats itself. And when I say appendages, I mean everything that hangs away from the actual structure of your body. Use your imagination. That's what it attacks. And it just eats it away. Noses, fingers, toes, and ears, and everything else, and then it keeps going. So this guy didn't just have a rash. He didn't just have a couple of sores. It says he was full of leprosy, which meant he looked like what they try to make The Walking Dead look like on TV. So when the leprosy immediately leaves him, it doesn't mean that the disease just left. It meant his body was restored. This is amazing. It's miraculous what Jesus does. But what was more valuable to this man? Being healed or being clean? One is temporary. One is eternal. Amen. And so I ask you today, what is more valuable for you? Being forgiven or getting what you want in life? What is temporary? Or what is eternal? And I'm, I'm not saying that this is purely a spiritual application only. I'm not saying that if you are sick and in need of healing, that Jesus does not want to heal you. What I am saying is that you being healed or not healed is not a measure of God's love and acceptance for you. And I'm asking, what is the motivation of your love? And your devotion to Jesus. Another way to say this is simply to ask, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't heal you? Change your spouse's heart. Get you that job. That house. That car. What if you do miscarry? What if you have no kids at all? What if you never get married? 
But if you do get married, <laughs> what if you get sick? What if you're healthy now and you get sick? All of those things are possibilities. But not one of them, not one of them, is a reflection or a measure of God's love and acceptance for you. Not one. And this is tough. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm here. I'm struggling with this right now. I mean, what would it take, Mike? What would it take? The accuser stands before the beloved and says, you know, that Mike guy, you know, he only loves you because you haven't let anything really bad happen to him yet. You take his kids away. He'll curse you to your face. You, you mess with his marriage and he'll deny you. You take all his money away and he won't still serve you. I mean, what would it take for me to do what Job's wife told him to do and curse God and die? And to be honest with you, I don't know. I look at Job and I don't know how he made it. I look at people that I know and love and trust and, and care for and I see the things that they have gone through and I, I go, God, I don't know if I could have made it through that intact or through it, period. I'm weak, I'm a wuss, man. I hate pain. I, I do not like pain. I avoid it at all costs. It's not fun. And even as a guy and even as a wrestler, I mean, I, I could, you know... No pain, no gain, brother. Pain is weakness, leaving the body. I, I hate pain. I don't want pain. I don't want suffering. And yet, that is what the New Testament says is my lot in life to suffer with Christ. And it scares the out of me. So what would it take for you? What are you here for? It's a hard question. It's not easy. It's a question I think Paul wrestled with, even in his ministry. I mean, crud. <laughs> Shipwrecked, left for dead, beaten how many times, 40 lashes minus one or whatever it was. I mean, this guy, I want to talk about a resume for suffering for Christ. He had it. Just trying to do your will, Lord. Just trying to do your work. Here I am again, stoned and left for dead. Not the kind of stone that makes you happy. <laughs> so he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. I don't know what it would take for me and I cannot say for certain that there is not something that would cause me to have some crisis of faith. Honestly. I don't know that I could ever deny God, but I might get angry. Angry enough to walk away from everything. If I can't keep sight of this. If I can't keep sight of what's eternal if I allow myself to forget the gospel, if I isolate myself from my community of faith, if I don't share my struggles and 
the pain and the suffering I am going through with the people that God put around me to remind me of who he is and what he's done for me and in my place to purchase and redeem for me not temporary comforts but eternal weight of glory. Do you see what I mean when I say that these stories today are at once joyous but also vexing because it's complicated and it's nuanced. And Jesus comes and he heals but not everyone is healed. And so the question remains, will I be satisfied in him? Is he enough? Is he truly enough? If I do lose everything, is, is Jesus enough? Is the connection I have with the Father through the Holy Spirit enough? Sunday school answer is yes, Jesus. And it is that simple. But we can't lose sight of that. That groaning and that aching that we feel for restoration, we have to remember that it is an eternal reconciliation eternal restoration, an eternal thing that God wants to do, and not only a temporary one. And so what does the Bible say? It says, weep with those who weep. Why? Because there will be weeping. And rejoice with those who rejoice. Why? Because there will be rejoicing. But both are our lot in life, even as believers. And what we are called to do is to come to God in faith, believing that when He does and when He doesn't, He is good. And it's His glory that is at stake. And His glory is our ultimate good. Amen? Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank you for a special moment this morning when we can come in this place, God, of intimacy and worship. God, there's not a lot of us here this morning, and maybe that's good. Because, God, perhaps there's something that you want to do this morning that a room full of people would distract from, I don't know. Rather than guessing, God, I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, God, to heal our hearts. To forgive our sin. Make us clean. God, to provide a restoration and a reconciliation that's eternal. And God, in the same breath, I'm going to ask you that if there's anyone suffering in pain, anyone in need of healing that God you would do and if you choose not to that you would be the strength that we need to remain steadfast in our faith to trust you and know not just in our knowing but by inspiration of the Holy Spirit